0: I want to change gears here as we get into the message. You know we've been in a series on family and today will be a, you may wonder, okay, where is he going with this? How does this tie to family? If you will give me a few minutes, I'll be able to, to tie all this together for you. But I want to begin by talking about something that we as Americans we like to hear. We like to hear stories of people who went from rags to riches, don't we? I mean, those are those are incredible stories of ingenuity and of hard work and determination. We love to hear those kinds of stories. People who started on the bottom and ended up on top of the hill. Those are powerful stories for us, very motivational stories for us, and we could pick out any number of those, but I just want to share with you one little story. Now, I'm not going to tell you the whole story because I think you know this guy. He's fairly popular. He was a president, and his name was Abraham Lincoln. But I would like to share just a little segment from an article that was written in the Wall Street Journal uh, by Peggy Noonan uh, back uh, earlier this year. And she wrote, Lincoln was elected president in part because his supporters brought lengths of crude split rails to the Republican Convention in Chicago in 1860. They held the rails high and paraded them in a floor demonstration to everyone. This guy was nothing but a frontier rail splitter, a laborer, a backwoods nobody. And now he will be president. What a country. What a dream. Those were her words. That dream didn't begin, obviously, with Abraham Lincoln. As a matter of fact it, it was a dream that was in the hearts of those who came to this new world and established a country a country it, it's captured perhaps best in those words from our own declaration of independence which says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So this is something that's been in the heart of men and women for a long, long time. We see it codified in our earliest documents. We read about it. As a matter of fact, even in the midst of the Great Depression, there was a historian that wrote a book back in 1931, and the book was entitled The Epic of America. His name was James Treslow Adams, and he may have coined the term the American dream. Let me tell you how he defined that. The American dream is that dream of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to their ability or achievement. It's not a dream of motor cars or high wages merely, but a dream of social order in which each man and each woman shall be able to attain the fullest stature of which they are innately capable and recognized by others for what they are, regardless of the fortuitous circumstances of birth or position. And we've kind, of, we've kind of taken that and put it in a little phrase that says, America is the land of opportunity. And that's what we tell our kids and our grandkids, don't we? We tell them that if you work hard and you stay out of trouble and you keep at it, that you can be anything that you want to be. And that's quite a dream. It's intoxicating in its simplicity. It's a dream that is so audacious and yet so delicious that it has captivated a nation and propelled it forward into unparalleled greatness. It's produced abundant prosperity and it's, it's produced unbridled ingenuity. This is the nation in which we live. And it's no, it's no wonder that so many want to come to our shores. They've come in the past and they continue to come to be a part of this because they recognize that here, more than anywhere else in the whole world, I can find what I'm looking for. It is here that I can prosper. Certainly there's good reason to keep that ideal. Before your children and your grandchildren, to keep passing that on from one generation to another, that American dream. And yet, what I'd like to tell you as your pastor this morning, I'd like to give you a little word of caution. And here's the word of caution I have for you don't settle for the American dream. As grandiose as it is, don't settle the american dream but you go wait a minute pastor you just kind of talked it up you just kind of put it up put it up there on that on that t and i'm ready to take my bat and swing at it and hit a home run pastor i thought this was all going to be about pursuing the american dream that's hey listen that's all well and good there's so much out there there's so much potential so much opportunity take grab all of it you can what i'm saying is don't settle for the American dream so what pastor could be greater what could be more grand what could be more worth my life's pursuit than the American dream and I'd like to share with you today I believe with all my heart that it's the kingdom of God as great as the American dream is the kingdom of God is by far infinitely greater So, what then is the kingdom of God? In its broadest definition, the kingdom of God covers everything. As a matter of fact, we read in Psalm 103, verse 19, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over what? All. There's nothing, nothing that is outside of that. Everything in the known universe and beyond. God created it. God made it. He's king over it all. That's the broadest sense of what the kingdom of God, our understanding is. But when we read the New Testament, we discover there's a narrower sense of the kingdom of God. And that's what I want us to focus on today. And it comes out of the scriptural teachings. It comes out of Jesus' teachings. And basically it is this. So if you, wanna, you want our definition, our layman's definition of what the kingdom of God is, here it is. The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God in the lives of all who acknowledge him as king. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's not saying, although it's true, that God is king of the universe. What he's saying is there is a a special understanding of the kingdom of God. That all who bring themselves under his kingship, all who acknowledge that he is king are part of the kingdom of God. And we see this as Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, right? He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done here just like it is there. That everything is under your rule. Everything is under your reign. That is the prayer of Jesus for the coming of the kingdom. That we as kingdom people would live with the same kind of attitude. That Lord, as it is done in heaven, let it be done here. What a powerful prayer that is. God, as it is done in heaven, let it be done in my life. As all of heaven brings itself under your kingship, let that be true for my life family let it be true for my place of employment let it be true when i'm on the lake fishing when i'm on the golf course teeing it up let it be true even there that your will is done right here just like it is in heaven now jesus talks a lot about the kingdom you'll find two terms in the uh, in the new testament in the gospels you'll find kingdom of god and you'll find kingdom of heaven And there may be some slight variations in that, but they're pretty much the same thing. If you look, if you look in the Gospels, you see they're used interchangeably. Kingdom of God and Kingdom of Heaven. And if you read through, you will find that the Kingdom of Heaven or the Kingdom of God is mentioned 104 times in four Gospels. 104 times. Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom. Now, so what we're going to do is we're going to start at the top. We're going to go through all 104. No, we're not going to do that, obviously. But I I do want us to touch on a few of those because I want us to understand this concept of the kingdom of God and the reality of this. And and so we begin, actually, before Jesus says anything, we begin uh, with John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, we read this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, here's his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. So what we see here, notice is John the Baptist speaks of the nearness of the kingdom. Now remember, the kingdom of God in the broadest sense covers everything. But what he's saying here, this unique understanding of the kingdom is all those who are under God's rule and reign. This kingdom is coming in a special way now. There is a nearness about the kingdom, an imminence about the kingdom. It is almost upon us. But he also says, so prepare the way for the king. That's what this is talking about here in verse 3. What he's saying here is, he looks back at Isaiah, and Isaiah talks about the coming of the king. And here's what would happen if a king were coming to visit. They would go out and they would fill all the potholes in the road. And they would level all the high spots, and they would take out all the rocks, and they would make straight the way of the king. They, they would clear a path. And and this is what he's saying is, because the kingdom is near, because the king is near, then you in your lives need to prepare for his coming. Now, this is John. This is John. We go on. Jesus, of course, came to John. He was baptized by John. And then Jesus begins to preach a message. And guess what he preaches about? Well, In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time has come, he says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now he's telling us exactly how to prepare the way. Repent, believe the good news. And this phrase, the time has come, it means or it could be translated uh, with the phrase, the time is fulfilled or the time is now. And so John kind of had, okay, it's right there, right just, just flipping the next page. What Jesus said is listen, the time's now. The time has been fulfilled, completed. It's now. The king who was promised by John the Baptist and the kingdom that was promised by John the Baptist, it's here. It's here. The kingdom was a primary message, really, of Jesus. Go back and look through the Gospels. He proclaimed the kingdom. He inaugurated the kingdom. He taught kingdom virtues and values. He taught to enter the kingdom. To be a part of the kingdom required a new birth. Spiritual birth. This is what he said in John chapter 3. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God Unless they are born of water, physical birth, and the spirit, spiritual birth. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's no option. There's no other way in. There's no other way to be a part of this kingdom. You must be born again. Now, following Jesus' resurrection, he stayed on message. When he appeared to his disciples, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we read, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about what? The kingdom of God. And so all throughout this, John points towards it, the Old Testament points towards it. Jesus comes to fulfill it, and guess what? We live in it. You and I live in the kingdom of God. If we acknowledge that God is king, we bring ourselves under his rule, under his reign. And our job is tied to it. Our mission is tied to it. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, we read, And this gospel of the kingdom, this good news of the kingdom, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come jesus said when this gospel of the kingdom this good news is of the kingdom goes out into all the world crosses all the barriers into every culture then the end will come so you see, what i'm trying to get you to see is this kingdom teaching is not something that's just kind of off on the side it's it's peripheral it's it, it no, no 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 it is central to what jesus is teaching. It is where we are going but it is where if we are believers where we are now. We are in the kingdom now. And so you may be asking yourself that's all well and good. I've been educated today. I can go home now and I can read my Bible a little bit differently but we're talking about family. We're talking about how how does this work? What does this kingdom stuff have to do with my family? What does it have to do with my kids what does it have to do with my home what does it have to do with my grandchildren what is this kingdom stuff and how does it relate and i will tell you it relates in a lot a lot of ways there may never have been a time in all of human history where there were more things that were clamoring for the attention and the affections of you and your your kids and your grandkids it's kind of funny um if you go to if you go to hospitals or uh you know and, and and you'll have somebody who's who's absolutely in complete uh serious condition in the hospital uh maybe family sitting around in intensive care wedding room uh, but this is what you see you look around everybody's kind of looking down at their phone now some of them of course are sharing information <laughs> they're, they're letting people know hey this is how granddad's doing this is how grandma's doing whatever it is but a lot of them on Facebook or Twitter or stuff like that. And I'm not saying these are bad things. I've got a Facebook account. I've got a Twitter account. I've got a Snapchat account. I'm pretty hip. Or at least I like to think so. So not, it's not those things are bad. It's just that we've got so many things that are trying to draw our attention and call our attention and grab our affections in this world in which we live. There's never been a time like this when there are so many things to distract us and and to grab us. Therefore, it is critical, parents, grandparents, it is critical that we bring the kingdom of God and the virtues and the values and the truth of that kingdom into our homes. So how? How can we do that? And I'd like to just share with you three very quick applications for how. We can bring the kingdom of God to bear in our homes, to bear in our families. And the first one is this. and It's pretty simple. Uh, Decide who you will serve. Remember, the kingdom of God has to do with bringing yourself under the reign and the rule of God. So you need to decide who you are going to serve. Jesus made it clear in Luke chapter 16, no one can serve two masters. We need to let that sink in. No one can serve two masters, he says. Either you'll hate one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I would say right here, you can't serve both God and anything. He was specifically talking about money, but it's true with anything you could put in that blank. He goes on, the Pharisees who loved money So this is why he's communicating this particular truth to this particular group. The Pharisees who loved money, they heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Now listen, we could spend a long time on these three verses we spent a long time on these, but I want to hit you the highlights here. First of all, what I want to say is that you and I, and I include myself in this, we've spent way too much time imitating pagans. We've spent way too much time with dual allegiances. Where we say, Jesus is Lord, but we live as if we are where we value we say with our mouths that we value the kingdom and the kingdom values and kingdom principles that's important to us and yet we live in a different way and and you need to ask yourself this morning do I have dual allegiances maybe they're not dual maybe they're multiple allegiances that you would have that would replace and displace my allegiance to the king of heaven do we, like the Pharisees, spend time justifying our actions? Man, it's so easy to get. I always come up with an excuse. I always come for a reason. Oh, well, you know, I did that, but you need to understand, blah, 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 blah. Jesus, like the Pharisees, says, God, you, you, you spend too much time justifying your actions. Justifying, in their instance, your greed. But for us, what is it? What is it that we continually have to justify before God? And finally, what he says here is that and this, is, this just blew my mind, this verse right here, verse 15, "What people value highly, what people put the greatest value on, God detests. Why does God detest it? Is it because it's bad? Does God hate iPhones? No, God didn't hate iPhones. iPhone's just a tool. But anything that would replace him, he detests doesn't have to be technology it can be your job it can be your pursuit of the American dream anything that rivals him he detests and so we need to ask ourselves Are we, are, are our values shaped by our culture by our country or are our values shaped by God himself? And so that, that's, that's the first one. So we need, to, we need to decide who we're going to serve. And, and the second application is this. We need to declare who you will serve. Declare who you will serve. We need to hear again that clear call of Joshua as he had the children of Israel prepared uh, to enter the promised land. And he says, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. And then he makes this declaration. I want you to hear it, especially dads. I want you to hear this. He goes on to say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's a bold declaration. As a matter of fact, if you go on to read, Joshua, Joshua says, listen, guys, you've just, you, the, the people said, yeah, we'll do that. Joshua said, no, you won't. No, you, you really won't. You, you don't really want to do this, do you? I mean, you better think about it. You better dwell on this for a little bit. Do you really think you want to do this? you think you and your house, you want to serve the Lord? Do you really think you want that? The people finally had to beg him. So please let us just declare our allegiance to the Lord. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning. And I especially want to challenge you dads on Father's Day. Listen to me. Some of you need to declare your allegiance boldly you say oh well you don't understand pastor I've made, I made this quiet decision in, in my room I made it in a Sunday morning sitting in a pew of a church somewhere I made it out on the lake while I was fishing and the light reflected off the water just so and I was impressed with the wonders of God and I made this little quiet decision there I'm telling you Dad, it's time for you to step up to the plate This world needs a generation of fathers and grandfathers who will boldly declare where they stand. Who will not have. Listen, there's a difference between it being a private matter and it being a personal matter. Your salvation is a personal matter, but there's nowhere in Scripture that says it's private. You need to be bold about where you stand. You need to be bold about who you are in Christ. And you need to be bold with your family as you lead them to live under the kingdom rather than in the world. You've got to be bold. Is anybody listening to this? Does anybody get this? this? This is one of the most critical things that we can do as men of God. And that is to stand up and be men of God. Men who live under the rule and the reign of God and everybody knows it. Now, I'm not saying be obnoxious. I don't, you, I'm not saying you walk around with a 60-pound white King James Bible with a picture of Jesus on the front. I'm not saying you walk around with this and say, okay, guys, this is who I am. No, I'm saying in your words with your families, when you pray for your kids, when you pray for your wife, when you pray for your grandkids, don't be afraid to pray. My goodness, how many of us as grown men are afraid to pray with our own families? What are we telling our kids? We're not even on speaking terms with God. We're telling them it's not important. How many, listen, throughout the United States right now, their dads are sitting home, reading the paper, surfing Facebook, looking at a fishing show on TV. Or they're out on the lake or out on the golf course while the rest of their family's in church. Now listen, I'm not saying you can't take a day off from time to time. But I'm here to tell you right now the greatest thing you can do with your family is lead them into the house of God. Lead them into family worship. Lead them into prayer. Let them see that you are standing for Jesus. That you're a kingdom man. I'm sorry, I get a little worked up over that, but that's what's wrong at least a great part with our country right now is that we don't have men who are willing to lead their families in worship and lead their families in prayer and lead their families into the kingdom of God. For some of you, you need to take that stand today. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. If the Holy Spirit does it, fine. Not my job. I just want to confront you with the stark reality that some of you have, you've decided, you've decided you're going to serve, but you've never declared it. Time to get out of the dugout and get on the field. Get that bat on your shoulders and take a few practice swings. Step up to the plate. And this may be the day for you. Your family needs this. Men, your family needs This. And the final application is this, determine to seek the kingdom first and foremost. Decide who you're going to deserve, declare who you're going to deserve, and then determine to seek the kingdom first and foremost. And here's what Jesus says, a little bit of a lengthy passage, but I think it's worth reading in Matthew chapter six, beginning with verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father, he feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? God brought somebody here this morning just to hear that. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow; they do not labor or spin yet. I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. so don't worry saying what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear which there's a lot of conversation in the house about that, isn't it? in your house, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Jesus says, for the pagans, those people who do not have God, for the pagans run after all these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows you need them to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, uh, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, Yeah, you can get amens on that. I do understand. Far too many of us, and I include myself, spend far too much time imitating pagans. Chasing after the same things that those who don't know God chase after. We run after things that ultimately don't matter. How many of us are spending our time, our energy, our our influence, everything we've got on things that ultimately will not matter? As my college roommate used to tell me, it's going to burn. It's all going to burn. One day, none of this will matter. We put a high price tag on things that ultimately don't matter, and we devalue the things that matter most. And here's the thing, your kids and your grandkids, they see it. They see it. They know what matters most to you. And it doesn't matter what you say, they know what matters most to you. How do they find out? By what you talk about, by where you spend your time, by where you spend your money. They know what matters. Some of you this morning, because that's true, need to make a few changes in your life. You need to get your priorities reordered and you need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. When we choose the world and the ways of the world over the kingdom, then what we do is we send a handwritten engraved embossed invitation out to trouble and heartache and invite them into our homes and into our lives and this needs to stop needs to stop with jimmy needs to stop with you this morning you need to decide who am i going to serve you need to make that decision if you've never made that decision you need to make that decision because i promise you As that great theologian Bob Dylan said, you're going to serve somebody. You are going to serve somebody. You need to decide who you're going to serve. And I want to tell you, you need to declare who you're going to serve. Some of you may need to go home today. and, And as you're gathered with your family at lunchtime, your children, your grandchildren, you need to declare who you serve. Some of you need to do it this morning. Some of you need to spend some time at this altar this morning in prayer. And some of you need to rise up and stand up and say, this is it. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Finally, you need to determine whether or not you're going to seek the kingdom first. I want you to hear me this morning. Many lives have been deeply and radically changed because they've acknowledged one simple truth. And that truth is he is God and I am not. Families are changed when we together can acknowledge He is God and we are not. So the problem with America is not the American dream. There's nothing wrong with the American dream as it is. It's just when we settle for the American dream. when well, that is the height of our ambition. To have the house, to have the bank account, to have the cars, to have the yard, the flowers, the boat, the membership, whatever it is, that's the height of our ambition. Then we're selling God short. We're selling our kids and our grandkids short because the American dream, as wonderful as it is, is a poor substitute for the kingdom of God. Let me leave you with this verse and then we'll pray. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? let's pray father i thank you for this word it is a challenging word a convicting word and now lord you leave it to us your spirit moves in the hearts of men and women right now you draw you draw you draw people to yourself the question is will we lord Will we say yes? Are we willing to be moved? Are we willing to be shaped by your word? Are we willing to move ourselves from the location of the world into the location of your kingdom? Are we willing to take a stand? Are we willing to be bold, men and women of God? And Father, I pray that for for every man, for every woman, for every teenager, for every child who hears your call today. Father, I pray that they would quit putting up a fight, quit making excuses, quit justifying themselves. And begin today to stand with you and for you now and forever. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.